Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rice, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore the eerie, real-life sightings of the so-called Golden Ghost. Yes, the Golden Ghost, which has been encountered in the wilds of Wales many, many times. But what makes this tale extra creepy and adds weight, adds credibility to all of the reports surrounding it is that hard physical evidence which some people believe is indeed linked to this ghost has been found buried directly underneath the spot where it has been sighted for centuries. And more than that, this piece of evidence is on display to the public at the British Museum. Yes, London's leading museum, the British Museum, has this valuable artefact and piece of ghostly evidence, supposedly ghostly evidence, on display for anyone to go and visit and see for themselves. How many ghost stories can claim that hard evidence alone is great, Hard evidence, which is on display in the British Museum. Well, the Golden Ghost is golden by name, golden by nature. Now, for the facts of this story, I am once again going to turn to the late, great Peter Underwood, the English ghost hunter who is such a huge inspiration to so many, or certainly to me at least anyway, and he really did pave the way when it comes to writing about ghosts or discussing ghosts in a regional sense or a country-specific sense, much like my Ghosts of Wales books. And we last looked at one of Peter Underwood's accounts back on episode 42, a few months ago now, when we looked at the ghost ships of Milford Haven. So if you enjoy this episode, please feel free to go back and check out episode 42 afterwards. But for now, we are going to focus on this golden ghost, as he called it, which was haunting, or which is haunting, it might well still be there for all I know, mould in what is now Flincher, but what was the county of Clyde back in the 1970s when Underwood first wrote about it? And to set the scene, I'd like to quote from Underwood briefly because he does such a wonderful job of capturing the spirit of the place, as it were. No pun intended. Well, actually, yeah, pun, pun was intended, I guess. But he does such a great job of capturing the spirit of a place. And this is all set around a place, the name of which might be familiar to regular listeners because he tells us that for centuries, an artificial mound or barrow known as Bryn ar Athlon, or as he translates it, Hill of the Goblins, was said to be haunted by a tall soldier in a suit of gold. Now, Bryn ar Athlon, yes, Bryn ar does translate as Hill of, but where Underwood says the goblins, Ethlith means elf in the Welsh language, Ethlith on means elves. So it could be elves, one of the 
Tullyth Teg, the Welsh fairy folk, but we're not talking about the fairy folk on this episode. There's plenty of other episodes about them out there. It is the ghosts that we are concerned with. And Underwood tells us that such a figure, that tall soldier in a gold suit, such a figure was variously said to be seen entering the barrow from time to time or standing seemingly beckoning to passers-by as though to lead them away from the road. Now, an important word which Underwood starts that with is for centuries. This tall soldier in a suit of gold has been seen and who appears to be trying to lead people away from the away from the road, away from the, the straight and narrow, as it were, maybe towards or into that barrow which it disappears into itself. Because something incredibly important happened in 1832, Underwood tells us, but 1833, the modern-day internet tells us. So I am leaning towards 1833, probably, but, you know, what's, what's a year out when you're talking about the 1800s? But back in 1832 or 1833, that barrow was opened up. They went exploring, and inside they found that it contained a skeleton, yes, a skeleton, of, can you believe it, a tall man, and that tall man was wearing a corslet of armour of bronze overlaid with gold. So after centuries of sightings, there was indeed a gold-covered skeleton inside that barrow. And Underwood tells us that the skeleton itself crumbled to dust on being exposed to the air, but parts of the cape remained intact. And if you fast forward to the current day, there is now an object on display in the British Museum called the Mould Cape. Now, it's not as straightforward as just saying they dug this thing out of the ground, plonked it in a museum, and connected it with a ghost. There are some people who don't think there's a connection. There are some people who didn't think it was a cape for quite some time. But let's take a quick look at the cape itself first, and then we'll try and uncover some of its secrets. So what I'd like to do is to just read a quick line off the internet about this object in the British Museum. And if you'd like to know more, well, you don't even need to go to London anymore. The entire collection can be seen online. Just go to the website and have a look for the Mould Cape. But very quickly to quote, the Mould Cape is a solid sheet gold object dating from about 1900 to 1600 BC in the European Bronze Age. So this is this is pretty darn old. And it was found at Mould in Flincher, Wales in 1833. And very quickly, just to wrap up the description, it says the cape is thought to have formed part of a ceremonial dress, perhaps with religious connections, and it is now housed at the British Museum in London. But you, you know that because I just told you that a second ago. So that's the object. That's where you can go and see it if you would like to. But what about the ghost stories surrounding this so-called mould cape? 
Well, let us return to Underwood once more, and he tells us that experts at the time decided that what was discovered was of Etruscan design and probably dated from the Romano-British period, so the ghost or some memory of the long-dead man must have persisted in the area for more than 1,400 years Which is a heck of a long time to be hanging around haunting somewhere, isn't it? More than 1,400 years people have been encountering some kind of tall, golden, soldier-like apparition in the area. But what, what exactly happens when they encounter it, besides trying to beckon you off the road? Well, Underwood did seem to suggest in the last quote that this could be like a recording. So rather than a ghost with its own mind its own brain as it were it's almost a recording that's playing itself now there's a very famous theory called the stone tape theory which i don't want to i I don't open that can of worms right now but there's this idea that things from the past even the distant past like this can be preserved in some way and then replayed for prosperity maybe it's been recorded in this the stones or something which are playing it back that is one theory but he also records a very interesting first-hand account and it's one of the most oft-quoted accounts as well connected with this tale and it takes place back in the 19th century and it involves a couple who are returning home from market one bright moonlit evening the perfect setting for a ghost story i do like a moonlit evening a bright moonlit evening and things got a bit spooky when the man it was a, a male and female couple married couple when the man stopped to light his pipe which is a popular motif I've come to notice in my research in these Victorian ghost stories, that when somebody stops to light their pipe, something creepy is probably on the way. And in this case, he stops to light his pipe, whereas his wife does not stop to light a pipe. She continues walking ahead alone. So she wanders off into the moonlit night. It doesn't take him long to catch up with her but in that short space of time that they are apart something strange takes place because when he finds her she is to quote standing still her hand to her face in astonishment mixed with bewilderment she is astonished and she is bewildered by something by what well apparently Just seconds before her husband caught up with her again, she had seen a tall figure. And this tall figure looked to her like a warrior. And more than that, I'm sure you can see where this is going. This warrior was dressed head to toe in gold. A golden warrior or at least the apparition of a golden warrior, what you could call a golden ghost. And having just suddenly appeared in the path in front of her, it made no sound but turned and disappeared into a nearby hill or mound. Again, I'm sure we can all work out what that hill or mound probably was. 
Now, after listening to this story, to this account, her husband was naturally very sympathetic to her plight because we are told he laughed at her fancies, but she persisted in her story. And yes, while it was late and it was dark and it was moonlit and she was a bit shaken up and she couldn't be certain of every little fact, she was under no illusion that this 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 thing, whatever this thing was, was shining in gold. You, you could not mistake that. This gold was absolutely gleaming. It was, if indeed it was a ghost, then it was most definitely a golden one. And maybe it, it was by persisting on this point that she did convince her husband because he then admitted that he had heard from other people of similar accounts, similar sightings in that area. It wasn't just his wife. Maybe he didn't believe them up until now, but he, he had heard other accounts and they did always involve this golden ghost. And I think it's worth bearing in mind at this point before we carry on with this tale, but as mentioned right at the start of this episode, this apparition is known to try and lead people astray, as it were, to lead people off the path. Could this, this golden apparition have been doing just that in this case? Was the idea that it walked off towards this, this, this hill, this mound, whatever it was, well, was he trying to attract their attention or possibly just the lady's attention and for her to follow him in that direction? If that was his plan, he had failed spectacularly because I imagine, well, she, she was frozen in fright, but if she was going to go anywhere, it would have been a hundred miles an hour in the opposite direction. But anyway, let us let us carry on. And it was sometime later, we are told, sometime later, they happened to mention the experience to some of their friends at a seasonal gathering. I, I don't know what season, Christmas, maybe Easter, but they were at a seasonal gathering. They told these friends what had happened and the, the, the reaction, the general reaction, much like with the husband, was of amusement. But one or two of those present realized that she had obviously had some kind of experience and that they made a suggestion on what they could uh, potentially do next which i find it, it's quite a quite an out there suggestion but they 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 did think it was unlikely that there would be a stranger walking around there you don't you don't generally see strangers in this part of mold back then by all accounts certainly not ones covered in gold head to toe in gold so in order to get to the bottom of this mystery they and i'll quote again for this they suggested that it might be an idea to visit some of the old caves and underground quarries that abounded in the district so if you want to get to the bottom of this you need to go searching around the dark old caves and underground quarries to see what's out there. All of which, if, if you ask me, sounds like it's it's asking for trouble, isn't it? Go around, crawling around dark old quarries and things. Go, ne never mind the ghosts. 
that's just a really silly, dangerous thing to be doing anyway at any point. And I love what comes next because it's just so anticlimactic. And this is one of those, I've, I've mentioned this before, this is one of those great things about real life ghost stories. And it's also one of the most frustrating things about them as well. Because these stories are not written as works of fiction to you know, to, to build up the tension and to come to some big grand finale at the end or anything. They are purely just reported as they happened. Their friends suggested they should go rummaging around old caves looking for this ghost. And they said, no. They said, no, they didn't do it. After all of that, after all of that build up, nah, we will we'll leave it, thanks. And so that is the end of the couple's account, but it's not quite the end of this part of the Golden Ghost's story because this is picked up again when one day in the future, a landowner was inspecting some of the work and some of the workers which was taking place on a new road being built right by that mound, the mound right at the heart of this ghost story. And it turns out those workers had discovered when they were digging that land, digging for that road, they found a large flat stone which appeared to form a top for two upright stones beneath it. And the top stone did not appear to be of local origin. So, I mean, I mean, for the purposes of trying to explain this quickly, if you imagine the famous stones of Stonehenge, which, as we now know, were stolen in inverted commas from Wales, or at least relocated from Wales, shall we say. But that's another can of worms I don't want to open on this episode. We'll save Stonehenge for another episode. But if you can imagine those famous Stonehenge stones with two upright ones and one going across the top, the large stone that they had found going across the top is is a similar kind of structure. No, I mean, not, not the same, but for the purposes of explaining it quickly on a podcast. And we are told that it was indeed a or prehistoric burial monument. And having taken off that top stone, that big stone in particular, it was underneath they discovered a skeleton. Yes, our story is coming full circle. It is indeed that skeleton I spoke about at the start. And they believed this skeleton must be a tall warrior or chieftain and buried with them, they believed, was a golden chest ornament for a horse. And that is indeed what Underwood tells us was there. But we now know that they were wrong. When they first found this golden artifact, it was assumed to have been something which would have been worn by a horse. We now know that it was worn by a human, and that is the mould cape that you can see on display in the British Museum. But originally, it was thought to be for a horse, although a very important horse, because any horse, any human, any living creature wearing this thing must have been very important. And to wrap this up, I think we should turn to Underwood for the last time for the final line, which really does bring us full circle. And he says that it is interesting to reflect that for hundreds of years, folk memory had kept alive the memory 
of a gold-clad warrior in the place where such a person was buried and subsequently unearthed. And maybe that offers some clues as to where that name came from, Bryn Arathlathlon. Was this tall, strange, golden apparition considered to be an, an, an elf or a goblin all of those centuries ago before people started to call them ghosts and spirits and apparitions and whatever words we might use now? Well, I don't know, but maybe you have some ideas of your own. Maybe you've even seen this golden ghost. In which case, it's always lovely to hear from people. So if you'd like to get in touch with any thoughts, even if it's just to say, hello, you, you don't have to talk about golden ghosts. I'm quite easy to find. Just do a search for Mark Reese, and you can find my website via a search engine or you can find me on all of the main social media platforms. And as mentioned, there are plenty of other episodes out there now. I can't believe we've smashed the 50 episodes mark. We're hurtling towards 100 now, but there are plenty of other episodes out there featuring Peter Underwood, featuring Victorian ghosts, featuring goblins and elves and all this weird and wonderful stuff. And there is a lot more coming up. And if you don't want to miss any of them, as always, please consider hitting the subscribe button and you will never miss an episode ever. All of which just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian and Grando. I've been Mark Reese. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast. It's the best. It's the beautiful. It is the only Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. Don't accept any of those cheap imitations. And here's a final question for you to ponder until next time. If indeed this golden ghost was connected to this golden cape and was trying to lure people towards it, well, if this golden cape now resides in the British Museum in London, does that mean England's capital city is now haunted by one of Wales's shiniest ghosts who knows until next time no star <laughs> <laughs>